It's Undercover with Emily Adams and Alora Lagarde on VIC Radio Ithaca. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Undercovered. Hello, everyone. I'm Alora Lagarde. I'm Emily Adams, and we are coming to you pre-recorded this week once again. We are recording this on Saturday afternoon. You will be hearing it at Sunday morning. Um, so hopefully not too much has changed in that time, but hopefully <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today. Surprisingly, you know, it hasn't been a super heavy news week. Um, you know, that everything got drowned out in that super league nonsense yes. that went down early in the week. But, um, we did, you know, we found a lot, a lot that was going on under the radar. Um, and that's what we're here to talk to you about. Yes. Yeah. Um, so why don't we jump right into our first topic, which is something that both of us, I know, are very excited about. Yes. Um, it just came out, uh, yesterday, I believe, that Simone Biles, uh, obviously one of the most decorated gymnasts in Olympic history. Yes. Um, one very of the talented. most decorated female athletes in history. Yes. Um, she was previously sponsored by Nike, um, and has since left her contract with them, um, and will now be moving to Athleta as her primary sponsor. Athleta, for those who may not know, is like an activewear company. It's female run. Um, yes, it's a female-owned business. And Athleta actually, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the, on the show before, but I worked with the Women's Sports Foundation um, last summer and fall. And Athleta just recently signed a multi-million dollar donation deal with them um, to start a new program. Um, so they're really involved in the space of advocacy for, for women's sports, um, which has been really cool. So, yeah, Biles essentially left Nike, one, to be affiliated with a brand that emphasizes women, and which show. Nike historically does not do. Mm. Um, <laughs> and as sort of a way to subvert USA Gymnastics, which we all love to see. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the rundown. Alara, you want to, you want to kick us off with some thoughts? Yes, I do. Because for any of you who first started listening to our show, Emily and I did have a conversation about USA Gymnastics and essentially what both of us agreed on is that the system is so corrupt and, um, the best way to build the system up again is to burn down the, the pre-existing one mm-hmm. at this point. And we've explained before how Biles mentioned that she would never want her children if she uh, if and when she had any to be part of this organization because that's how corrupt it is especially with the case of Larry Nassar who Mm -hmm. sexually harassed and assaulted like what over 300 yeah women in his career path and and I'm gonna go into the head people who run the organization because that's a whole nother discussion i think this is by far one of the most amazing and astounding things that i've heard because nike is such a prominent company especially going into olympic time because you see that they're still to this like still even going into the olympics you're gonna see Mm -hmm. so many athletes still being sponsored by nike well nike sponsors certain Team USA yeah. group. So they sponsor USATF. And yes. I think there's also... another one too. Um, but yeah, so we're going to see. Yeah. You know, Nike, Nike is 
it's, one of the sponsors. It's like, not Adidas, Puma, but Nike's like top tier. Nike's Nike's but the top dog. When you see athletes like Simone Biles leaving Nike and going to an organization, a company that goes with her values, mm-hmm. it speaks such high volumes. And not just for Simone, and that's not just Simone Biles that's doing this. Allison Felix. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Highest um, has the most medals in track and field mm-hmm. history. Um, most decorated athlete in track and field. Uh, she's leaving Nike, and this goes into cases of how Nike does not support their athletes when they are pregnant and for maternity leave. Mm-hmm. That has since Nike has since addressed that issue, but the fact that it had to be addressed in the first place is the problem. Well, and that's that's something you know. Biles leaving is just sort of the latest name mm-hmm. in an ongoing story of a, a sort of exodus from Nike exactly. by a lot of top athletes you know I think right now Biles is the most prominent person to do it I would say but you know you even you look at someone like Allison Felix who left Nike a couple of years back um Tiana Bartoletta who's a long jumper who was on the the team that set the world record um in the four by 100 meter relay has left Nike um Kara Goucher Mm -hmm. was with Nike and since left them for Wazelle which is um a similar company to Athleta actually that has been pulling a lot of um prominent distance runners, especially from track and field, um, Mm -hmm. away from those sort of big name shoe sponsors. Um, and even, you know, I was reading earlier, you know, Vanessa Bryant is going to be, she's not renewing, she's going to be pulling Kobe Bryant's estate, um, that has since expired away from his contract. So, you know, it's just huge guys. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing here is that, you know, obviously Nike you know, is going to hurt financially someone from this. You know, Nike, Nike is, there's very little that you can do to really hurt Nike, but it, what this shows to me at least is that athletes are taking autonomy over their own careers. You know, I think especially when athletes are young, Nike has a certain glow about it, you know, and it's really easy to sign with them. When you look at somebody like Mary Kane, like we were talking about exactly. earlier, you know, Mary Kane signed with Nike when, when she we was were 18 in, years old. Yeah. You know, she was literally she was Mary King. high school. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the thing is that when Nike comes, to, when, you know, the biggest shoe and clothing when brand they come in the up world to you, comes to you young. and says, we want you to, you know, compete for us. You're going to say yes. Right. Nobody's going to turn that down. But I think what we're seeing now is that athletes are so much more aware, not only of, you know, the business side of you know, what their value is and what companies they want to be aligned with. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, with sort of the the moral, ethical, social side of things, you know, because Allison Felix could have stayed with Nike, I believe, and, yeah. and chose to leave. And it's the same thing with Simone. I'm sure Nike would have happily renewed their contract oh, with yeah. the presumptive gold medalist this summer. Um but I think seeing athletes, especially athletes with names like that, yeah. you know, is huge. the first step into kind of sending a really important message. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was also think after reading about Simone Biles and, of course, like years before, Allison Felix, I was also just thinking, I'm like, you know, it would be just absolutely astounding if Serena Williams decided mm-hmm. to leave mm-hmm. Nike as well. And 
I think it's just really, as you were saying, Emily, Nike gets these athletes when they're young. And you're not going to say no. They got the, the, the Williams sisters. They had Simone Biles. They had Mary Kane, of course, Allison Felix. Like, all of you, you, you always say TF. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it's just like, when you just keep on hearing the same story over and over and over again. And what I saw and with Mary Kane when they got rid of Alberto Salazar, mm-hmm. the coach that was the coaching Mary Kane, and the story is just absolutely horrific. Yeah, for those who haven't heard Mary Kane's story, um, there's a really great yeah. video op-ed um, on the New York Times that you can check out. Um, that gives a little bit more detail because we just don't have time to unpack yeah, all of that, that on our that's, show. That's, that's a lot. Um, but thank you, Emily, for telling everyone <laughs> about that. <laughs> and Nike fired him, mm-hmm. right? But it wasn't just him that was doing, that was using that abuse, right? It was also... It went down to his style. Yeah. Else, yeah. And they didn't get rid of him. I mean, those, those people yeah. and those staff, right? And... It's a band-aid on the bigger exactly. problem. Exactly. And that's what And that's what these companies That's what they do. Done. And it's just so powerful to see mm-hmm. these athletes like being like, "No, I'm not yeah. I'm not Same. going to continue yeah. to be mentally physically abused mm-hmm. and be afraid of the consequences I'm going to face." Yeah. Like that's just that is that is no more. Mm-hmm. No more. And that is the most powerful thing about this. Yeah. The fact that you are leaving to go to another company saying like, listen, you might be the name brand, but I'm the person. I believe in my values and this company does too. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. So when you see things like that, it's like, okay, like, all right. And you know what? After just reading what Athleta also said about Simone Biles coming to their company, it's just... It's like, thank God she got, like, she's getting out of this contract because now she can actually just, I, I feel like she's just going to flourish and be happy as an athlete. Well, and, and let's talk about, too, why her signing with Athleta is kind of a, a big finger to USA Gymnastics. Yes, it well is. Because, so USA Gymnastics, prior to the Olympics, normally fields a sort of tour, like national tour. Mm-hmm. Um, for athletes to, but then they you know visit yeah. all over the country and compete and things like that, um, and they're not doing that no. this year, um, and so Simone, along in partnership with Athleta, has sort of taken that into her own hands, um, and with that, you know she's she signed on um, Laurie Hernandez, yes. who's also on that Rio Olympic team with her, um, and. Former yeah. UCLA gymnast yes. Caitlin Ohashi, um, who is who, like all over social yeah, media with she, videos. She went super viral for her floor routine at UCLA, I think, last year. Um, it was so beautiful. She, yeah, um, <laughs> it was beautiful. So, yeah, basically, what this is going to be able to do is allow the gymnasts who sign on to the tour, obviously in partnership with Athleta, yeah. to make all of that money themselves. And all of that revenue themselves and have a say in how much of that revenue they get and where it goes. Exactly. Um, whereas with USA Gymnastics, that's, that's generally not, money. not the case. Yeah, it's, um, it's, not, it's not the athlete's money. <laughs> and, you know, in, in post-Olympic tours, um, USA Gymnastics has reported 
up to like $12 million in, in revenue from mm-hmm. national events. Um, that was in 2016, so an Olympic year. Um, and gymnastics is at its most profitable in Olympic years. So, you know, this, this is the time to be doing it. And, it, you know, it's especially, especially sort of funny because, you know, after the Nassar scandal broke, USA Gymnastics actually had to declare bankruptcy. So they really need this sort of revenue right now. And what Simone has done is basically found a way to undercut them exactly. and, and do it herself. Because frankly, why give point, money to a to an organization that did not support you and, and help you and get rid of a man and, and hold him accountable at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think <laughs> most other gymnasts too, you know, you see it with, with Laurie yeah. and with Kaylin Ohashi, who are both pretty big names in the gymnastics they world, are. you know, she, you know, Simone's name mm-hmm. holds so much power, like arguably to a similar level that USA Gymnastics does because USA Gymnastics isn't going to not put Simone Biles well, on the team. That's what I was going to say. I, the thing is, it's just like USA Gymnastics, like, yes, the organization is big, but what makes USA Gymnastics big? The it's clearly not their, it's not, clearly not their morals not and their, their values. Management. Like, it's clearly not that. It's their athletes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's their and this athletes. Is, this is such a... It's, it's such a small thing, but such a, a huge way for the athletes to, to take ownership of their careers and not be so beholden to mm-hmm. gymnastics. And I think, in a lot of ways, that sort of is the first step into, you know, not only sort of dismantling the way yeah. that USA Gymnastics operates, but I think for sports in general, you know, like... It shows athletes it's, you can have control right. over your career. And it's so rare that athletes, you know, really have the power to, you know, undermine their national governing organization or their, you know, other governing body if we're talking about, you know, the NHL or the yeah. NBA. Um, you know, those organizations make the rules and the athletes follow them. Yeah. But you know, when, when athletes who have the names to take those risks are willing to do it, well, yeah, it's, it's such a big step for everyone. And that improves things for all of the athletes because, you know, it, it comes to a point where they're going to have to weigh their value. Exactly. Because time enough they is are enough. going to, th- there is no chance that Simone Biles is not going to be put on the Olympic Oh, team. Abs- they can't afford that. They, uh, they actually just, they, yeah, they just can't afford that, honestly. And I'm happy that you brought that up with, like, athletes. I love when prominent athletes who are free agents, mm-hmm. um, who are big names, uh, have a lot of medals, have a lot of money, um, they use that, they use their athlete and their, their, their celebrity mm-hmm. to, to vocalize their opinions because they don't, they're like, I do, I you do not hold fear over me anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I am not afraid. And, of course, like, it's great for, like, all athletes in general because, like, they all are part of, like, these systems that, mm-hmm. uh, of the, these harsh systems, you know? Yeah. But I think it's even more powerful when women, people who are part of the LGBT, uh, LGBTQ plus community, um, that they show 
prominence and also just mm-hmm. like athletes who are diverse because like yeah. they, there's just it's well that's what look at Simone yes, is a black woman. Mari Hernandez is a Latino woman. Mm-hmm. And Caitlin Ohashi, I believe, is... I want to say she's AAPI. I think so. Asian Pacific Islander. But, yeah. you know, that's it's all three women of color. Exactly. You know, and, and women of color are not no. a, a prominent group in no, gymnastics. They're not. You know, gymnastics is an overwhelmingly white. white sport. Yeah. So, you know... To have three women of color who have the social and financial capital to take ownership of their careers is such a huge step forward. It really is. And it's just like, yeah, it's huge. It's bigger than what we think. It you is. Know? I, I, it's, this seems, I mean, obviously it seems like a big deal that Biles is leaving Nike, but, yeah, but like, the implications of this move go so far beyond it's so much deeper nike and usa gymnastics and yeah. file you know they, i mean it's it really it's it's kind of a game-changing move. it really is like these women are showing they have the ownership of themselves mm-hmm. and it's just like honestly you could do nothing but applaud them because mm-hmm. they have something to lose absolutely Alrighty. we are going to take a short break now we're going to head you over to commercial um and when we come back we are going to be chatting about the NW women's yeah. hockey um, nas- or world championship, the world championship. Um, being canceled. Yes. So we'll be back in a minute. Hey, besties. If you love VIC Radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram, which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. Alrighty, welcome back from the break. Um, as we mentioned at the end of our last segment, we're going to jump into some discussion about the uh, Women's Hockey World Championship, which unfortunately um, was postponed indefinitely last um, minute. By, <laughs> by the IIHF, which is the International Ice Hockey Federation. Um, it was supposed to be held in Nova Scotia, um, in Canada, uh, starting on May 6th, which is like a week and a half away. Yeah, May now. 6th to the 16th, I believe. Yeah, yeah. so um, we're not far out at all. Um, and due to a spike in COVID-19 yeah. cases um, in Nova Scotia, unfortunately, the tournament was postponed. Mm-hmm. Um for the second year in a row now, because yes. it couldn't be played last year. <laughs> um, so, you know, at face value, obviously, this is like a very practical decision, you know, I, and I, I don't want to fault them for making the decision not to hold the tournament where cases were spiking. I think that is objectively the correct move. Yeah. You know, safety is the priority. And I, I, you know, I've been very critical of you know, teams and leagues that have gone ahead with holding championships um, when there were COVID issues. But, you know, I think the thing that's so, so frustrating about this story is that, you know, number one, you know, you feel for all of these women around the world um, because... They, I mean, they were literally in their, like, pre, mm-hmm. um, pre-tournament 
bubbles essentially you know they're in quarantine right now they've been in like training camp for a while um and now that's all just sort of been lost and all that money that national programs have spent into you know booking travel and holding you know quarantine camp and things like that all of that money just now sort of goes down the drain um and the other thing that's really frustrating is that um there was seemingly no backup plan as there has seemed to be for other events um held by the IIHF even in the past year um you know they were ESPN reported that sources were saying um American locations were you know offering to step up and host a rescheduling of the tournament um Specifically, I think Texas was mentioned, but since Hockey Canada, which is the Canadian Hockey Federation, was awarded the championships, it has to be, you know, kept in Canada, ideally. Um, but unfortunately, there seems to be no backup plan, no plan to move the tournament somewhere else anytime soon no indication of when it's going to be rescheduled for, you know, the, you know, there's, there's a winter Olympics coming up in very less soon. than a year yeah, now. So, <laughs> you know, depending on how long a postponement takes, you know, they're going to be cutting it pretty close. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, Hillary Knight, who is a forward for the U S team, you know, yeah. she's one of the best known women's hockey players, um, summed it up really well in her statement that she posted to her Twitter um, where she said she described the cancellation as just another reminder that women's hockey continues to be treated as an afterthought um, and that's true on the international stage that's true here at home in the US um, women's hockey ha has pretty consistently been given the short end of the stick oh 100%. Um, so yeah um, you want to jump in here? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. That just blabbered on for... Oh, no, no, no. You did not because there's so many points I want to just agree on with you and then add more to that. Um, yeah. I think that... I think what's really annoying me because I agree that you should always take your, your athlete's safety first mm -hmm. at all times. Absolutely. Like, especially going into this pandemic. Mm -hmm. That is... We know about and we know, like... The health part of it and everything but we still don't know everything about it mm -hmm. so always like taking safety into into effect but my thing is that we've been in a pandemic since march of 2020 mm -hmm. and you canceled everything a week before because of like the spike but there's been spikes going on mm -hmm. so like you could have given them fair warning about this could happen mm -hmm. um and have a plan B to it, but there was no plan B. And that's why I want to go into this idea of women's hockey being an afterthought because it is like it is on mm -hmm. the world level. And, and especially like you said, and also in the U S level, I'm not even going to go into the whole wage gap when it comes to <laughs> men's hockey and women's hockey. Cause I can, I can just go in on that because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times. abysmal. Oh yeah. Because I feel like a lot of times when we think of like wage gap now, because of, mainstream media we only think of women's soccer and men's yeah. soccer that's all we think about yeah and we also think about the WNBA and the nba 
but we don't think about other sports like the wage gap with uh, women's golf, men's golf, <laughs> women's hockey, men's hockey, and I can just go on and on and on the list. Mm -hmm. But like, I just feel so bad for these women because it's like another slap in the face. Like you didn't have a plan B for us. And I'm sure they were all disappointed last year when this happened, but right. very much understood. Right. But you had since last year to plan everything out, plan out different precautionary measures. Everyone has been in quarantine. No, and, and, and of course, like, even though when people are in quarantine, like things can still happen. Yes, that's very possible. Mm. But, but it wasn't with any of the players. Exactly. You know, all of the players have been testing, testing negative in negative. home countries. You know, Everybody's they were been prepared COVID. to go do an eight-day quarantine, I believe, once they got to the site exactly. after already so doing seven-day quarantine like, at home. And, like, the thing is that's getting me, like, so fush, like frustrated is, um, like, you, you see all these other organizations doing things, and you could learn from their example about, like, okay, like, this might happen, so we have this going on. Mm-hmm. But clearly that wasn't a case for you, for these women. Right. And that's the part that's really getting, like, going, like, that's really digging into my soul yeah. and, like, underneath my skin right now. Like, my skin is crawling. Mm -hmm. um, well, and I think, too, what's yeah. important to, to address is, you know, earlier in the year, um, the, the IHF held the um, U18 international tournament um for for the men um and it was supposed to be held in michigan um and then because michigan's governmental restrictions were trending in a negative direction yeah. they made the decision months ago to move the championship to texas which you know is is yeah. fully open and has very limited covid restrictions now um <laughs> so you know, it's <laughs> that shows a very clear level of forethought and a very clear willingness to, you know, have an alternative and have a plan B and have, you know, a, a contingency plan in case something like this were to happen, exactly. you know? And I think, too, what's very, you know, frustrating is that, you know, the... Renee Fazel, mm -hmm. who is the the um, chief of the I the, the uh, chairman HF, of the yeah. IHF, yeah, uh, the president. Um, he said, you know, oh well, for the the twenty the U eighteen World Championship, the decision to move venues was made months in advance of the beginning of the, the event. Um, I don't that's the problem, yeah. though, <laughs> is that you know, obviously, yeah, the situation in Nova Scotia was probably different several months ago, but Nova Scotia did have. A spike in, yeah. in COVID cases, and the government not them. not too long ago, yeah. and they had to go into a mini lock. According to um, one of the the players um, for Hockey Canada, said, you know, the the Hockey Canada team was in Nova Scotia for a, a selection camp for this team yeah. um, in March, and the province had a mini lockdown. Um, even though the players were in a bubble, they weren't allowed to play at that point. So Nova Scotia has been having problems. Mm -hmm. March was a month ago. Yes. <laughs> that would have been 
enough time you would think when mm -hmm. you see something like that happening what you go okay maybe we need to <laughs> rethink reevaluate yeah. this you know and i think that that is just the quintessential example of of you know women's sports being treated as an afterthought because we have these concrete examples of forethought being put into the men's game and obviously no one should be playing anywhere where there's a COVID. Spike. No, like we, that just, that that's obviously just, it's common be sense. It's common but sense. Yeah. For them now over a year into the pandemic mm -hmm. and having hosted several events and planned several events in that time for, for there not to be any sort of contingency plan. I mean, is, is abysmal. It's baffling. It's a joke. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, it's, it's frustrating because you know, we're not seeing the IIHF no. take any accountability for this. They're kind of just chalking it up to being, you know, an unfortunate series of events when the series of events could have been avoided had they just paid attention in March when Nova Scotia's numbers were trending in a bad direction. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's just so... It's it's so just sort of senseless, and you know I do want to mention too. You know one of the the players um, on the Swiss national team said that the team isn't being paid for their participation in the tournament. I don't know for sure if that's true. Like you know across the board of I'm you sure know, there'll be the like some more, some more investigations when it comes to that but, as well. But you know so. the the Swiss national team was playing without without you know a a salary per se. Um so now after they've been in quarantine for all this time now all of that goes to waste and they've they've gotten nothing from that, you know. Yeah, um I think the part I'm going to go back to something that you said before about like this, like the cancellation. Um, I feel like Bazell is like treating like he he spoke as though like this cancellation, like what's the word I'm looking for? The demeanor in which he spoke about the cancellation is it the, the, the demeanor as if someone spoke about the cancellation a month ago, mm -hmm. you know, like no remorse. No, no, no sadness, no nothing. Like very robotic, um, mm -hmm. very HR like uh, not apology because that's not an apology. <laughs> very HR standard um, speech, mm -hmm. and it's. I'm so like you can just tell these athletes are so angry, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't want to say sad. I think I I honestly just feel like, utmost like disappointment and mm -hmm. anger and frustration yeah. because but also at the same time like they're not shocked of something like this happening because mm -hmm. personally speaking I'm not shocked at something like this happening because mm -hmm. I feel like it's been ingrained in our heads that women's sports mm -hmm. is put down mm -hmm. and when something bad happens it's like okay like we see this yeah we've been like we've it's been seeing this for so long yeah. already very prominent, of course. I don't want to say very prominent because it's been prominent throughout years. Mm -hmm. But because mainstream media is now starting to, has an interest in it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you see it so much on the college level. Yeah. Um, 
you see that you see it so much on the professional level and it's like these women work so hard mm -hmm. and bite their tongues so much because of, of of crazy stuff like this happening all the time mm -hmm. and it's like no like let me tell you why this is messed up and why like like you had so much time to see that there was a spike and even mm -hmm. if like the spike let's let's just say hypothetically even if the spike went down mid-April, still, there was a spike. Mm -hmm. So you had, once you had the information, you had the, information, you had the data, mm -hmm. you know, and you should have had a plan B mm -hmm. to this. And if the plan B didn't work, you should have had a plan C. Mm -hmm. And you should have been in communication with the athletes. Because right now, when reading... ESPN article, um, when reading the CBS article, you know, and, and so on and so forth, it honestly gives off the impression you completely blindsided your athletes mm -hmm. and let and did not let them know anything. Because I'm sure if you told them, listen, we there is a spike, we might have to cancel them on Nova Scotia, but yep. we have a plan B for something else yep. later on in the year. Yep. I don't think that this, of course, it would have been made like. A big deal but like yep. of course they would have another option yep. you completely blindside your athletes and that goes with like without saying well and i i want to talk too about you know how how really kind of devastating the world championship being canceled is for you know women's hockey in general you know it's it's one of those sort of marquee events for the sport you know the the nwhl which is the national women's hockey league in the u.s hasn't you know gained a ton of investment and attention and publicity, you know, from the sort of general public. Um, and it's, it's really disappointing, honestly. A lot of NWHL players aren't even remotely near able to sustain themselves off of their salaries from playing in the league in the way that male professional athletes do. Almost all of them have to work second jobs. Um, it's, I mean, it's really, it's pretty egregious how much women's hockey has been sort of shafted in, in the U.S. Um, and these sort of international tournaments in the same way that, you know, the U.S. women's national team funnels attention to the NWSL. National tournaments, world championships, when the U.S. performs well in them, mm -hmm. and, and when any country performs well in them, it funnels interest to that sport, you know? And it's, it's the same thing we're coming into a Winter Olympic year next year, you know, this is a huge opportunity for women's hockey to be marketable. And this, this huge moment that they could have had has now been taken away from them. And, you know, that just continues adding to the problem and adding to the problem of women's sports being underinvested in and neglected. You know, like, if it's not for... You know, if they're not able to take advantage of the, the slim opportunities when they do come up, there's no way for them to grow past them. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree, Emily. Like, I think I'm just at a point now where I'm so done with organizations treating people this way, mm -hmm. treating women this way. And treating them as an afterthought. Mm -hmm. 
I am frustrated. You're giving us a good segue into our next topic here. Yeah, very frustrated. <laughs> so. Well, on that note, yes. Um, the frustration will lead gonna on. We're going to take a quick break, um, and when we come back for the, I believe, third week in a row now, we're going to be talking about the NCAA. Oh, so fabulous. We'll be back in just a second. BIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding health care. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow IC Generation Action on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Want to help bring a little more love to your campus community? IC Random Acts of Kindness Club meets every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the Business School, Room 104. Stop by to socialize, participate in fun events, get creative, and be kind. For more information, please email randomactsofkindnessic at gmail.com. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. Alrighty, welcome back um, for our final segment of the show today. We're going to be chatting about our favorite people. Um, we've talked about them, I believe, I believe for the last three weeks in a row. We yeah, I think a so. We've segment on them. <laughs> um, so things are going well for <laughs> our good friends over at the NCAA. Um, once again, um, a gender inequity story has broken. Um, They've done it again, the, guys. <laughs> the Washington Post. Um, published a investigation into the disparities between the uh, men's college world series and the uh, women's college world series for baseball and softball respectively um and you know in light of last week we talked about the volleyball, volleyball tournaments issues you know before that we were obviously talking about the issues with the men's and women's basketball tournament yeah um and you know I think we've chimed in multiple times, actually, (laughs) throughout the time we've been on the show about the NCAA. Yeah. And and softball coaches, you know, started thinking, I think, after the the basketball tournament, according to the the Post reporting, you know, softball coaches started to sort of look back on their tournaments that they've been to. Yeah. um, And recognize, you know, women's basketball is probably the most popular women's NCAA sport. Um, It's sort of their, their flagship. So... You know, if that's how the women's basketball team is being treating, treated, how is everyone else being treated? Oh, I yeah. Their thought process. Um, and, you know, it, it's come out now that, you know, first of all, the, the Women's College World Series didn't have locker rooms at all on, the, on site until 2011. Um, they didn't have bathrooms in the dugout. And then they had porta potties in the dugout. Um, they didn't have showers accessible at the stadium to, to shower after games. Um, their, their venue hasn't been improved in years, in many years. Um, and you know, there's, there's no batting cages that are, you know, indoors or protected from, you know, the weather. 
Um, I mean, and also, arguably most notably, the women's stadium capacity is um, only 9,000 people currently. Yeah, and um, the, the women's college World Series tickets sell out pretty much every year. Um, the park where the men's uh, tournament is held, it seats 20 to 30,000. Um, and those tickets also do really well. But, you know, it's really notable that with, with women's basketball and men's basketball, you know, the men's basketball tournament does do significantly better ratings on TV. You know, it's much more marketed and yeah. more prominently featured on TV. That You know, there's reasons for that, but it, it does draw much higher ratings than the women's tournament. Currently, the way that it stands right now, the softball World Series and the baseball World Series draw nearly identical viewership. It's about 1, 1.1 million for baseball to 1 million for softball. So softball is performing at an incredibly high level in terms of <laughs> in terms of TV analytics and they're not getting equity right now. So imagine what they could be doing if they were actually having resources, you know, put into them. So you know, this is just sort of another another story at this point about gender inequity in the NCAA. Mm -hmm. This is exactly the same, essentially, as every other story that we've read about gender inequity in the NCAA. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just, it's so tiring, really. I mean, like, to, to have this be the story over and over and over again that the NCAA isn't willing to invest in women, um... And I think Carol Hutchins, who is the, the head coach um, at Michigan of the softball team, um, she said it best in yeah. an interview with The Post. She said, the NCAA never asks, what's the least we can do for the men? With the women, that's always the question. The NCAA strives to do the bare minimum for women's sports because it's cheap and it's easy and... In their estimation, it's, so far as it seems to me, they think that no one cares. And I think, you know, we're in a moment right now where we have a chance to really scrutinize that and actually change it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, okay. Going, going into it again, like, I'm, like, I think Emily said it best. Um, this is just like... It's basically the same story, but a different, a, a different, different sport. sport. Mm -hmm. And it's tiring. Uh, as I said before, the commercial break, like I'm just tired. I'm frustrated for these women. Mm -hmm. um, as a former athlete myself, it's like you fight so hard. And Emily was talking about Carol Hutchins, um, the head coach of Michigan. Along with that quote, she said, we have to fight to get things. Because mm -hmm. that's the only way things get done. Yep. And even if when we fight, it's not like the fight, um, it's not like we get what we want mm -hmm. the next day mm -hmm. or that year. It's a years long battle mm -hmm. and it's tiring and it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing too is, and I think, you know, this, this, I mean, this really ties into everything we've been talking about today is that women 
especially women, but also, you know, people of color in sports yeah. and queer people in sports it's are tiring. always asked to be advocates and to fight. as well. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, athletes who don't face daily systemic oppression in, in sports or otherwise, they, they can focus their energy entirely on, on their sport. You know, athletes from marginalized communities, whether that be women or queer people or people of color or what have you, you know. Yeah. They're asked to be advocates and to fight on top of their sport and on top of their hours of training and on top of everything else that they do, they then have to work to get even a fraction of what their male counterparts are getting. I wouldn't even say us, though, though, Emily. I would honestly say they're required. I feel like that's a requirement for them. They have to be able they have to be an advocate to or advocate for themselves. Is either being an advocate for themselves and for and their and their peers and their peers or they're like don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And that's just that that's so baffling to me on so many different occasions because it's just like what like it's it's so frustrating because it's just like you're not letting these people do what they want to do. Like, of course, like, if you want to advocate, you want to, you, you go Absolutely. for it, you do it, you do it, but it should not be required for you yeah. to have to. It should not be necessary for you to it's not your be job. treated the way that you deserve. Exactly. And I, and I think, too, you know, this ties into, you know, what, what we were talking about, you know, a little bit earlier and what I think we want to talk about a little bit here today is that, you know, I think what's so hard about the situation that we're in right now with the NCAA with, you know, they have this investigation out about gender inequities at their championships and things like that. And that's, and that's all well and good, you know, but I think in the same way that, you know, I've said before, I, I personally struggle to encourage other young women to get into journalism and to get into sports journalism, um, particularly because I know how toxic and and damaging the industry can be to a lot of people and I know the kind of harassment that people you know that women in the industry face and I know you know the the way that it really burns you out um and I have trouble encouraging people to be a part of a system that I know is harmful um and I feel that way about about this situation too a little bit because you know I have trouble wanting women to be equal under the NCAA. Mm, yes. If that, you know, I, and, and, and this is, is similar to USA Gymnastics in a way too, where I think the NCAA has been, you know, has just such a horrendous history of failing on gender equality and failing on racial justice and failing on, you know, truly supporting queer inclusion. And we've had to talk about all of those things on this show in the last, what, two, three months since we started it, you know? And this is just what's happening right now. And, you know, I obviously, I want, you know, women college athletes to have the same opportunities to compete that their male counterparts do. And I want women athletes in college to you know, be able to have that same, those same resources and that same glory and that same opportunity to transition into the pro space and things like that. But the, the NCAA is such a, 
a deeply corrupt organization and yes. a deeply flawed organization that, you know, are we just sending, you know, women sort of back into the fire? Yeah. You know, because you think about, you know, and we were talking about this in the context with the women's basketball tournament where people say, you know, the NCAA should be investing in the women's tournament because it'll be a huge moneymaker. And, and yeah, it will. And they should be because of that. From, from a purely business perspective, it's a good decision to invest in women's sports. But I don't want the NCAA to make money off of women's sports, That's... you know, off of, off of women who have had to fight against it for so long. And then for them to now, when it's, when it's popular to fight for gender equity, for them to now start making money off of that. That's where, yeah, because we were talking about like the going like further into like, this is a Washington Post article. It's a women's sports can do at least one thing men's can't experts say get bigger okay. <laughs> so further in the I, I was Emily and I text of course about like what mm-hmm. we're going to talk about and I, I I think Emily you said this pro- I think you said this the best way possible like I want I want women sports to be so equal mm-hmm. to men's I want it to be I, I want equity to be reached mm-hmm. I don't want them to be treated though. Like I, 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 I don't want I equity do, under flawed well, systems. Exactly because what Mark Emmert essentially said in this article, and you really gotta read it. He's basically saying um, that in order for them to be equal, like we want them to be equal, so we gotta make profit off of them the same way we make profit off of the men's, mm-hmm. and not give them a dime, not think about anything with them, like. Yep. We're just doing this because it's going to be a big money maker, especially after the women's tournament that like reached like oh, this is yep. so coincidental that he says this now after he saw it was how much successful, successful women's tournaments after. exactly and how many people were watching the women's tournament mm-hmm. and shout out to Sedona like <laughs> he's just like it's making me squirm just thinking about it because this is. He's capitalizing off of these women. Like, that's what he wants to do. And it's such a flawed system. Like, mind you, Mark Emmer and his team has not even called themselves out for the sexist behaviors mm-hmm. that, that has been portrayed throughout the NCAA mm-hmm. and has not called out their own flaws. And they want to, the only way that they want to make women's sports and men's sports equal is to make profit mm-hmm. and to get money. Mm-hmm. And well, that think, is setting me off, Emily, in such a different way. Like, I don't know how to handle it. <laughs> I think it's notable. You know, I think that's why, you know, name, image, and likeness legislation is really, really so important because, you know, and it is really so important to the gender equity space because I think that's something we don't talk about a lot where, you know, we assume that name, image, and likeness legislation is primarily going to impact, you know, the major men's sports. So, you know, football, D1 football, mm-hmm. D1 basketball. Um, I think that's really not the case at all because what name, image, and likeness legislation does is, like we talked yes. about earlier with Simone Biles, it gives athletes some autonomy over what money can be made off of them, where that money goes, and how much of it they get. Um, and, you know, even if athletes can profit on their name, image, and likeness, the NCAA is still going to make millions of dollars. They're still like going to make millions profit of off dollars. of it. 
but it, it gives the athletes a little bit more power and a little bit more of a stake in the equation, you know? And, and I think, you know, it'll be interesting to watch the Supreme Court case that's coming up, um, should be decided in a month or two. Yeah. Um, about whether or not athletes, you know, should be able to, to use their name or to, to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. But I Once think, again, a year-long battle, guys. <laughs> but I think for, for women's sports, you know, especially if we're trying to create a space for women where, you know, things are not only equitable in the sense that, you know, things are not only equitable in the sense that they're getting the same resources as men's tournaments and they're getting the same stadium venues and they're getting, you know, the same amount of marketing and all of that. Um, that is all, that's all good. Mm-hmm. But as long as it's it's governed by a sort of all-powerful NCAA, it, it can't truly be good. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's good things within a bad within a bad system. And I think, you know, it's a similar rhetoric to a lot of what we heard around the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. um, when that you know was really prominent last summer. You know, where people uh, the the big the big call was for you know police departments to be defunded in order to reinvest into communities. And I think that that sort of same ideology can really be applied to sports where we're taking money from the power structure and reinvesting it in the athletes and allowing the athletes to, you know, to hold some autonomy and to not be so like, completely governed and owned by an organization like the NCAA. But I think that goes back to the conversation that we were having too before when, when going to the when we were talking about Simone Biles that when you're when you're young and you don't have that type of authority for yourself yet or you don't feel comfortable enough to express that your own like and, and, and grasp back your own agency mm-hmm. you have given you you allow organizations like the NCAA mm-hmm. who can take away your your scholarship if you have one mm-hmm. or say no you can't do this you can't do that the NCAA has such a power grasp over these athletes and that's where I think the first step needs to be in mm-hmm. trying and, and making this organization better mm-hmm. for these athletes yeah. why like you're using a fear tactic to make your athletes scared to speak up and you're using it for your own gain mm-hmm. and that's what's really frustrating me about this at this point yeah. it's like you're using this fear tactic basically saying if you don't do things this way then we're not going to then we're not going to we're going to do something or some like, I don't know, man. Like, it's, it's just really frustrating me to a point. Mm-hmm. And then you're using, as you're using this fear tactic, you're still making money off of yeah. them. Um, I'm happy that we're finally addressing this long year's battle of this case for athletes to be able to make money. But even still, going into that battle in that case, it was mainly just... Re- um, referring to men's sports, mm-hmm. 
and not to women. So is this battle for athletes to make money really just going to benefit men or is it also going to benefit the woman as well? Like, yeah. especially with this conversation about them trying to make profit off of women's sports. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, we are almost out of time, so we're going to have to jump right into our fan moment here. Oh, yay. Um, Alora, are you ready to go, or would you like me to kick it off today? I'll go, because right. I'm really excited about the New York Knicks. Oh, <laughs> shocker. They actually beat the Raptors today. I believe the score was 120 to 116. <laughs> and I'm pretty excited, because it's been a long time since I've seen the Knicks in the playoffs. Mm. I believe the last time I saw the Knicks in the playoffs, I was in high school. Um... I think I was in a junior. They're playing the Indiana uh, Pacers. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited. I love seeing RJ Barrett play. He is, I think, I might be biased, but mm -hmm. I honestly think RJ might become, I think he's going to be a better player than Zion. Of course, let alone they play different positions. Yeah. I, I honestly think that, but you guys can sue me. It's okay. But yeah, that's my fangirl moment of the of the week. <laughs> love that. Um, my fangirl moment is a little a little different from usual. It's more of a, a looking forward to. Mm -hmm. um, I'm super excited about the NBA or the NBA, the NFL draft coming up um, this Thursday, I believe it yes. is. Um, I this NFL draft class is so stacked. Mm -hmm. um, and I am just so curious you know i i don't get into the the big boards and stuff like yeah, that very yeah. much usually but for some reason with this nfl draft class i am just so curious what's gonna happen and you know i, I think it was i think it was the WNBA draft too that that kind of psyched me up for it because mm -hmm. you know the WNBA draft we were sort of expecting to be not predictable but you know there was a, a pretty clear hierarchy and so many players were taken way earlier than expected and fell to way later than expected. And, you know, I feel the same way coming into this NFL draft where, you know, everyone has their top 10 sort of locked in. Yeah. And I feel, I, I, I have no reason to believe this, but I just have a feeling that everything's going to kind of melt down. You just want your Eagles to get someone. I really, <laughs> well, my, my Eagles traded down, unfortunately, out of that, that top top 10 pick that what are they in. now oh gosh i can't even remember I, they had are they at least in the top they traded it um but for the first for the first round yeah in the okay. first round i think they're down to or no they traded down to six okay from uh, they somewhere higher like yeah. three or four yeah um but yeah, I'm curious to see if we'll come out with a quarterback, which would be fun. There's so Join many the good club. quarterbacks in the class, <laughs> but you know, it, I just think it's going to be so interesting to see who ends up where. Um, yeah, and I think, I think it's going to be a fun season because of that. So yeah, that's my fan moment of the week: um, NFL draft on Thursday night. So and tune for in those if you're of, a football fan, <laughs> and for those of you who are not too familiar with the draft, usually first round goes with the quarterbacks and defensive players i believe and then second round goes for wide receivers yeah yeah but yeah it's a it's a fun class so yes. check that out um but yeah so we are unfortunately out of time this afternoon but we are going to be back um in your ears next sunday at 10 a.m again um you can check us out as usual on social at undercovered vic on instagram twitter and youtube 
Um, thanks so much for hanging out with us today, everybody. Bye.